Hello, and welcome back to But I'm a Professional. This is a podcast where we undertake to develop our professional selves via the evidence-based recommendations I and others have found in the research from the wonderful world of organizational psychology. I'm your host, I am your guide, I am Nancy Elizabeth, and most importantly, I am here to help. Come on in professionals, let's get started. Welcome back to our management mini-series, dear listeners. Now, if you'll recall, in these few episodes, we are focusing on what we get wrong as managers. And indeed, we what we might consider trying to do in order to get those things right. Um, these episodes are aimed specifically at people who manage others. Uh, they're a bit different in tone to the other episodes from this podcast, simply because the role of a manager is a bit of a weird one. Um, I think we can all agree that when you get into management positions, you become trapped in, in between sort of two behemoths. You get um, on one end the, the behemoth of the large number of, of those who inhabit the wider section of the triangular hierarchy. Uh, and then on the other end, you get the behemoth of the large amount of power coming from those who are in the smaller section of that triangular hierarchy. And so you're sort of stuck in the middle a lot of the time trying to get everybody to understand each other and just do your job. Um, the other issue with managers and management more generally is that organizations are, they sort of organically let it happen a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is organizations are often rather poor at uh, the training and the developing of good management skills into their people. Um, most, most organizations sort of follow that model of, oh, you're good at this particular job, this particular thing. How about a promotion? Congratulations, you're a manager. Um, that approach rather than recognizing that becoming a manager requires an entirely new additional skill set uh, and that needs to be that needs to be developed. And you know, in my humble opinion, I I would advise all organizations to um to create or to to require a sort of crash course in something like organizational psychology before you let anyone near a management position. However, I am a little biased. We all are. Well, enough about all that. Let us see what we can do here in this space together. Uh, get your notebooks and find a time machine because we're going to go back and uh, we're going to go back and learn some of the basics. It's all happening. The boiler has kicked in. The heaters are ticking and snapping and gurgling in the background. It must mean it's time to record. Hashtag authentic. Am I right? 
Well, where shall I begin with today's topic? I suppose, okay, let me, let me say this much. The process of thinking through a subject will oftentimes bring to light something that possibly you could have used at the beginning of the process. Um, and reflecting upon that, I would like to say when I started to form the episodes for this management mini-series, I had a real brainwave. And I thought a lot and I read a lot about what seemed to be missing from good management, both in my own experience, in what I, re- I, I read and have read, and uh, in conversations with others. Um, and now that I've got through some of the episodes, uh, ones on learning, uh, teamwork, uh, and resilience, it has dawned on me that one of the things that is still going wrong in management is uh, the basics, capital T, capital B. Um, if you have been a listener here for any length of time, you will be familiar with my, shall we say, impatience for trends. I dislike trends themselves. But I also, but I think really what really, really gets to me is the mindset required that keeps people pumping them out and lapping them up. I think, I think it's the chasing that I find most unpalatable, most uh, offensive, perhaps. It's kind of like, I don't know, running after a bus, you know? You, you, don't, you never catch it. And then you just sort of don't know what to do with yourself. It's not like running after a bus. Anyway, I, I just, I can't bear the mindset that is required to constantly be searching for the new thing, making that new thing a thing, and and chasing the, the new thing. So whatever version of, of that that you're involved in, that's, or you find yourself stuck in, I find that um, offensive because it also takes away from what we should be doing, which is, you know, um, a version of of uh, scientific questioning and rigor. You know, what what is our question? What is our research question? What is it we want to know? How are we going to find how are we best going to find that? What exists already that we know that we can we can use to inform our background and move forward into a space that's, you know, useful, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, what do I mean when I say basics? What do I mean by back to the basics? Well, um, in this case, in this instance, I am talking about the deeply unsexy, unflashy, very not trendy, yet so fundamental to functioning is not true. I'm talking about those things, okay? These are, are the, the basics of good functioning that pop up over and over in either, you know, some of the, the organizational studies that I read or some um, business coaching literature or things that come out of therapy and ancient wisdom and all this kind of stuff. So I've chosen the four that I think are the most fundamental and those are the ones we're going to talk about today. Also, I have a frog in my throat. Excuse me.
Did that get it? Kind of. Drumroll, please. What are the four basics? Is there a sound effect for a drumroll on this thing? Probably not. Composed. Kind. Clear. Conscientious. Told you it was unsexy. So those are, in my estimation, uh, four basic things that we are getting wrong and it would do us all well as managers to get them a little bit closer to right. Okay, let's talk about what we're getting wrong uh, in each one. Let's start with composed. What do we get wrong about being composed uh, in management spaces? I would like to do my favorite thing where I tell you what it isn't. Uh, and what I'm not talking about before I explain to you what I am talking about. I do not mean that you are, that you should be trying to be robotic or unfeeling in some way. Um, Even when you are experiencing trickier emotions like anger, you need not deny your anger when it comes to call. It's actually really important to pay attention to the things that you are feeling, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. However, there is a big space in between being able to identify and use your what you're feeling to inform and then on the other end, completely drowning in them and letting them speak for you and make your decisions for you. There's a, there's a big space in between and that's where we want to be. So we're not looking for the lack of feelings or the lack of emotion. Um, what we're looking for is how we use, uh, your feelings to inform you. Okay. Um, I think one of the ways we see, we see managers getting composure wrong is when they either try to avoid or suppress what they feel, um, or they try to avoid or suppress what others feel. And in that avoidance space, um, you, you often see things build up and explode uh, in frustration and people feeling unheard or unseen, um, and, and likewise, in your own space, avoiding or trying to suppress what you're, um, what you're feeling is a terrible waste of some very, very good intel that you can use to improve, you know, your professional self and, and to manage your relationships. Right. Um, and also what a waste not to share with your team, how they can, how they can do the very same. So that's one of the, one of the significant ways we get composure wrong. We think that being composed just means we have to be stoic and we have to push everything away. And and that's not quite true. That's not, that's not super useful. What did we get wrong about being kind? Ugh, where shall I begin? Good Lord. Okay. Oh, might need a piss boiler warning. Okay. First of all, let us begin with what it is not. Kindness is not niceness and niceness is not kindness and kindness is not basic manners. That's not what we're talking about here. Those things are all very important. Um, and they do have overlap, but the requirement for niceness comes when you're trying to 
you know, maintain a level of ease for a short period of time, um, sort of get through small situations or, um, to, to reward something or to avoid punishment or something like that, which again has its time and place, but that's not what we're, uh, that's not what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on kindness and I want you to think of it in the same way you think of, um, roles like what's the purpose of a personal trainer or what's the purpose of a therapist or what's the purpose of a teacher that you had that wouldn't accept you doing anything less than your, than your potential, uh, fulfilling your potential. Kindness is, is, in, is engaging in a kind of hard work, the right kind of hard work that in the end results in something being easier or better or improved it is a version of help that isn't always easy, but in the end results in um, the best outcome. Okay. And so sometimes kindness sounds like saying no. Um, sometimes it feels like boundaries, holding boundaries. Um, and of course, within that there, you know, there will exist uh, the other things that I said, niceness and, you know, manners and all that kind of stuff. But we're, we're very focused very much on the kindness. Okay. Um, if you're not really sure of the difference, sometimes it helps to ask what your motivation is for doing something. If you want a reward or if you want to avoid punishment, uh, that's not kindness. And again, it's not to say it doesn't have a time and a place. Um, uh, it's just, you know, one isn't the other. Um, if you want to help and you, like I said, that helping and that improvement, that motivation is, is what we're thinking of when we think of kindness. Okay. There are times and places for the other stuff. And, you know, I encourage you to, to figure out how you can work them in more, but good management absolutely needs much more kindness. Um, both managers being kind to themselves and, um, creating environments that have kindness and leading with kindness, uh, for, for best outcomes. Okay. Uh, what did we get wrong about being clear? Well, I think when, when we talk about being clear, we, we th tend to relate clarity to communication, which of course is, uh, important, but it's not the only thing. Um, because you must, you must be clear in your communication. However, in order to get there in the first place, you need to have clear clarity within yourself, right? Starting with being clear within yourself is, is important in the first instance before we can ever manage to be clear with others. Clarity requires a sort of a a vision of both the tail and big picture. It requires, um, thinking about your audience. It requires, uh, application of language, um, you know, both the editing process and, and brevity, things like that. It requires looking at your world in, in a more expansive way, um, as you become, better skilled at and better equipped to 
move around that big picture and, you know, come over a little bit to the left and zoom in on that. Okay, this is what's going on here. Bring it back, big picture again, move a little bit to the right, what's going on over here, that type of thing. That's that's hugely, hugely important to, to good management. Okay. So when we're talking about clarity, I don't want us to just think um, of communication while it is important. We want to also think about being um, clear with within ourselves as a starting point as well. Okay. And finally, the unsexiest of all, conscientiousness. What are we getting wrong about being conscientious? Well, oh, such a poorly loved construct, conscientiousness, isn't it? Um, I would say despite being the trait, if you like, that is potentially the most strongly correlated with successful work outcomes, I, it, it pops up over and over and over again. I mean, maybe because this this trait and this and developing the habit of of acting in this way out of all of the ones that I've talked about is the least exciting and, you know, is the less flashy and so enjoys the least attention. I mean, how dull who wants to be organized and punctual and reliable and diplomatic and stuff like that. Even though, as I say those things, I think, well, I want, I want everybody to be that way. I mean, maybe actually, here we go. We've identified it. Perhaps conscientiousness is the thing that we want everyone else to be when it's asked of us or required of us. We always have a long list of reasons why, you know, we, we'd love to, but unfortunately something's gotten away. Um, so that's, I suppose, the first way that we get conscientiousness wrong. We don't give it the value it so deeply and desperately deserves. The other way potentially that we get conscientiousness wrong is it has a, a, um, ability, a sort of perniciousness to it to slide toward a, an area of potentially work workaholism or burnout. Um, and exhaustion, things like that. So when we talk about being conscientious, we want to bear in mind the the importance of boundaries and what a boundary, a good boundary looks like, even when you are, you know, quote, working hard. Um, so that we, we don't, we don't fall victim to that, that um, insidious slide. Yes. How do we hold a good boundary? What does that look like when you're trying to, to in fact be diligent and hardworking? These are all tough questions. Is all hope lost? Shall we just give up and go lie face down in a dark room for a time, perhaps hide under a pile of coats? Do you know, I worked with a guy once who used to hide in the server room to eat his Burger King in peace. And his name is, oh, I'm not going to say his name. That's, that's unkind. Anyway, I thought he was really on to something though. Have your burger in the server room. Why not? Right. So that's how we're getting those things wrong. What can we do to get them closer to right? Let's see, shall we? 
And so the question, how are we going to get it right? How are we going to make that happen? Well, let's divide it up in exactly the same way as I drag you through kicking and screaming um, some ideas on how you can become better at those four basics. Starting with the very first, how to be composed. Well, we're all going to have to go to finishing school, I'm afraid, and walk around with books in our heads and be very repressed. Can't see anything going wrong there. Oh, you don't have a finishing school near you? Also, this isn't the 1940s? Well, that's a shame. Well, okay. I mentioned off the top in the wrongs bit, the tendency to run from or the tendency to suppress our feelings, particularly the trickier ones that um, most of us have been taught are unacceptable in the workspace. And the, you know, acting, acting out on those feelings is unacceptable. Do not get me wrong. I don't think a workplace where everybody is screaming and shouting at each other in a fit of rage is very useful. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that the feeling itself is not the problem. The feeling actually is um, insightful. And so I, I would like to highlight a few things here. First of all, I would like to borrow the language of uh, Professor Susan David here. She writes and speaks a lot about something she calls emotional agility. Um, and how emotional agility serves us well as it requires being less rigid in dealing with your emotions. Um, and it requires seeing them, understanding them and using them um, in a way that isn't about suppression or trying to run away from. Her website actually is really good. Uh, check it out if you th want to know more. That website is susandavid.com, S-U-S-A-N-D-A-V-I-D.com. Uh, she has some free resources on there too, which are quite useful, particularly if you're um, starting out. So I suppose my, you know, the reason that I brought her up is because this idea of emotional agility is something that we want to, somewhere we, where we would like to begin here. We want to, uh, see our emotions as, uh, messengers. Okay. Your, your body and your mind are trying to communicate to you when you feel things. And the importance is not reacting with them. The importance is in why do I feel this way or where is this coming from? Sometimes it's coming from nowhere. Um, you know, sometimes we have anxious responses to things that our brain is trying to tell us are, are scary that aren't actually really scary. However, sometimes they are informative and we need to know why. And so one of the ways to get better at this. And one of the ways to understand yourself more and how you feel about things more is to be able to separate out a couple of different things. Um, looking for patterns is often very helpful. Um, thinking about, uh, past examples and reflecting on 
what happened, why that happened and how I responded and why I responded that way, that can be helpful as well. If it's possible, it's always good to do this with the help of a professional, a therapist, a counselor or some such, even a coach sometimes. Uh, but if you don't currently have one and you don't have a very good EAP at your work, well, there are still some things that you can do yourself. Somebody's knocking at my door. Somebody was ringing the bell. Uh, not quite. Where was I? Ah, yes. Uh, if you don't have uh, access to professional help, it's fine. You can still do some things yourself. And one of the things I would highly recommend that you start engaging in is a form of reflective practice when it comes to uh, dealing with your emotions at work. One of the ways to do this very simply is to once a week set aside some time quiet, nobody's going to bother you, you and a bit of paper, and to ask yourself and write out responses to, in a fair amount of detail, uh, questions the following. Question the first, what has caused me upset recently and why? What has caused me excitement recently and why? And when have I felt most calm recently and why? And so that can sort of help pull, start, you know, begin the process of pulling apart the things that happen at work that, that caused me to be upset, either angry or um, hurt or fearful or whatever, whatever the negative emotion is and identifying what that is um, and also identifying what you're normal response to it is. Um, similarly, the stuff that sort of excites you and gets you hyped up and gets you, um, you know, gets you really energized, those, those types of things. What are they and what do they look like? Um, and what are the things that where you experience um, a sort of calmness, maybe you experience flow states, that type of stuff. What are you doing at those times and what's happening with, uh, what's happening with your body and what's happening with your responses. And so that, that process of beginning to better understand yourself, um, will help you to, to, uh, use your emotions as sort of informants a little bit better. I should also say, um, if you really have trouble identifying how you feel and you find yourself saying the same sort of, you know, three words over and over, happy, sad, neutral, um, then a feelings wheel can help a lot. I highly recommend those. Um, that, that sort of practice is very good. Um, and it can evolve. So as time passes and you become better able to, to understand what's going on, you can then make it a little bit more, uh, focused on the trajectory of something, uh, how a, particular relationship is developing um or a project is going on or or something like that you can you can sort of shape it to uh help you in in specific areas that being said sometimes what we need is to we, we you know we're experiencing a sort of more acute situation right so it's a bit too late you know uh, we've had a, a terse exchange or somebody's 
fully disrespected us or whatever it is. And we're, we're angry and it's happening and it's just happening and we got to do something. Okay. Well, that's fine. Happens to the best of us. Congratulations. You're human. But I think here, what you, what you need to do is, is put your, make your body do things first and, and then your mind will follow. Okay. So, um, one of the best things to do is to, you know, do nothing. Don't react. Um, there's no point, um, because it won't be a good representation of, of what you want to happen or how you want to express yourself anyway. So, you know, stretching time out, um, actually doing the, the counting down thing and getting your breath under control and all that sort of thing is really, really useful. Um, if you, if you get your breath to slow down, then your, your mind will follow and then you'll be able to think more clearly, clearly. And that's much more useful. Uh, another thing that helps a lot is cold water that, um, that physical interaction, the cold water on the face, for example, it makes your brain focus on that rather than thinking about how much you want to, you know, punch a wall or whatever. Um, so if you are like fully experiencing some sort of response and you at the same time, knowing that if you don't do something now, you're going to make a mistake, then, you know, do one of those things, just go and um, be by yourself for a very short time to, to get it under control and then try to come back and, you know, go from there or whatever. Try not to react though. Stretch that time out is really important. I would also say, um, some people find it really useful to set aside a worry time. Okay. So this is, this isn't about anger so much as it's about, um, I think as managers, particularly, we tend to spend, uh, more time worrying about things, worrying about either what's happened or what's going to happen, or if you're handling something right, or if you're not, you know, those types, and you spend a lot of time in your head in the there's a, a consistent and persistent background noise of worry all the time. And it really, it's exhausting and it slows things down and really gets in your way. And frankly, it's unsustainable. And so, yes, some people find it useful to compartmentalize that. So you have um, a bit of time in a day or in a week that is your worry time. And in that time, you can... Um, Again, you can make lists of things and, and, uh, either things that you have to do or you have to remember to do. So it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you don't sort of lose control of a situation or, um, you know, you think of, of potential solutions if something is going to go wrong, something like that. So it, it helps to compartmentalize sometimes to take that off of your mind. Okay. Um, and as a manager, what we also also want to remember in these situations is as you're doing these, these practices with yourself, it's also important to, to spread these ideas within your team and encourage them to engage in similar strategies as they fit in their, in their spaces. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about how to be more composed here and trust me, a, a composed team is much better equipped to deal with. Well, to deal with all manner of, of your VUCAs, of your volatiles, uncertains, complexes, and ambiguouses, um, much better equipped than 
a, a team that is not, in fact, composed. And if the idea of, of teaching these things to somebody really uh, makes you feel at sea, then start with, start with some, um, some free resources from, well, for example, you could start with uh, the resources from susandavid.com on emotional agility if you wanted to. Um, or see if your, uh, your HR, your learning and development department has anything. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's always good to start somewhere. Don't do nothing. How about that? Right. We're composed. Let's move on. How are we going to be kind? Well, you could start by not being an asshole. That would help. Um, that's not useful. Right. Okay. So I said that we weren't talking about being nice and uh, we weren't talking about basic manners. And that is true. While those things will exist in the kind space, that's not exactly what I mean. Um, first of all, you should always function with a basic level of manners and decorum, even if that's not what you see around you. It's a very, it's a very toxic, very toxic thing to behave in a way that's, uh, disrespectful and rude. So yes, deploy all as and when you need them. You are likely to need some niceness and some some good manners more often than than you think you might. Chances are we all do. But for today and for right now, our focus is on kindness, uh, which is an additional habit that we all need to develop and deploy. And we are going to focus on how are we going to make that happen? Well, so let's bear in the back of our mind that kindness is is the work that needs doing and the, um, the effort that needs to be put into help, um, to easing something, to improving on situation, those types of things. Okay. So let's consider for the purposes of this episode, kindness in two chunks. Let's think of a chunk that is a, a version of kindness that is small scale and potentially unexpected. And then let's think of a separate chunk that is more extensive, more um, consistently involved and more intentional. Okay. So a little bit more long-term and more, um, yeah, more, more intentional. So the first one, the small, let's start with examples. Uh, things like expressing gratitude, which we all forget to do. Um, as never too late to start, we, we often, um, we think it and then because everybody's busy and everybody's working hard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we forget to actually say the thank you or let the person or persons know that it was, um, it was really helpful and you really appreciated it. So, always, always express gratitude, uh, when it pops into your head. Okay. 
Um, other small ways of showing kindness and deploying kindness are things like uh, helping a colleague to finish something when they've got a, a deadline rushing in and they just need to, to get a few things, uh, need a little bit of help to sort of make that deadline. Um, maybe your desk neighbor, for example, was telling you earlier how they slept poorly last night. They're feeling a bit tired. So maybe that day you um, offered to make them a cup of tea or get them a cup of coffee or something like that. So there's lots of little small ways that you can sort of help ease situations or help improve situations. Okay. And they don't, they don't need to be, um, uh, hugely intentional. Sometimes they could just, um, happen as a, a consequence of an exchange. Fantastic. In the more extensive category, and particularly as a manager, what you want to think about here are things like, um, gaps. Okay, not letting small gaps turn into large canyons, which is really, really cruel in a passive way. And what I'm talking about there, for example, is when you see um, a knowledge gap, a skills gap, an ability gap, one of those gaps, and somebody's performance is poor as a result of that gap, you know, not having that conversation and not having the, the tricky task of having the conversation, identifying the problem, identifying how you're going to come through it together, um, and, and setting those things in motion, not doing that is really cruel. And you must do that. You must, you must engage in that. It is a kindness. Okay. It's, it's deeply unkind to let those kinds of gaps spiral into poor performance that results in either you know, some sort of, um, I don't know, maybe punishment or somebody having to, to leave their role. Um, and it's, it's not, I suppose the thing is too, like we, we don't need to be so, um, assuming the worst of people. I mean, a lot of the times this, this happens over really long periods of time. So you see people who are mismanaged or potentially even unmanaged and five, seven years later, there's somebody who's nearly unmanageable because it's something that has happened over such a long period of time in such a small way, but it's really built up into a space where they have developed a series of ways of working and a, seri and a collection of habits that are, you know, um, really unskillful and really harmful sometimes. Um, so my point is one of the, the biggest kindnesses that you can do as a manager is to to not let those small gaps turn into anything else, just to put that work in. Okay. While we're talking about gaps, also a kindness is to not allow blank spaces. You want to get rid of blank spaces as much as you can on your team. And um, blank spaces, sometimes those look like um, a uh, not enough communication either from you to the team or from above to the team or whatever, um, or between, you know, within the team itself. So these gaps appear and people fill gaps with their fears and they fill them with their paranoias. It's a very human thing to do. It's fine, but it's your job to, to make those blank spaces really small or to get rid of them wherever you can. Okay. And one of the ways to do this is, 
um, to communicate what's going on and why is to set specific times for that type of exchange to happen to, I mean, I suppose this, we're, we're coming back around to intentionality over and over again. You want to prioritize and value and be consistent in things like, you know, the team meeting, the, the weekly meeting, the weekly check-in, um, things like the individual uh, catch-ups with people and seeing how everybody's getting on, not just at the, you know, the mid-year and the end of year. Uh, you want something much more frequent than that. Um, can you believe one time somebody was telling me they worked for they worked for an organization, they were seconded to an organization and worked with them for a year and they had one, one team meeting that entire time. The boss called one meeting, one team meeting. Outrageous. Isn't that wild? What are people doing? Anyway, don't be that. Don't do that. That's very unkind. Okay. So yeah, we we want to um, we want to be aware of gaps. We want to be aware of blank spaces, and we want to uh, prioritize the structure of how we manage to to um, get rid of those and to shrink them down and to nullify them. Also, in that big, extensive, uh, intentional kindness space. You want to do things like, um, if you have the ability, you want to mentor someone, uh, or sponsor someone. And before you do that, you want to make sure that you have the space, the time, the energy, the know-how, all those things in place so that you can do that for a period of time and you can do it well. Um, if you don't have those things, then don't, don't start until you do. Um, another thing to make sure that you're doing is you are accepting and rewarding nothing other than, uh, you know, tact and fairness, uh, on your team. Um, it is very, very unkind, wildly unkind. And I would say, uh, creating a ticking time bomb to ignore or even promote uh, toxic behavior or unfair behavior and things like that. So you want to make sure that, that you're calling things out and, um, along with setting the example. Okay. Um, also managers be kind to yourself, right? And again, this is not a niceness thing. And this is not like a sort of, um, you know, make sure you're taking a hot bath type thing. What I'm talking about is, is checking in with yourself and reminding yourself of things like circles of control, right? What's in your control, what's not in control, what's in your influence, stuff like that. Um, setting healthy boundaries mentally as well as physically, right? So that means that, okay, I've, I've set the boundary. I'm not going to check my emails in the evenings or at weekends or while I'm um, on holiday. Fantastic. But what about your mental boundary, right? That means you're noticing when you're turning stuff over and over and over in your head again, and you're saying, no, this is not helpful. I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to, you know, engage in anything else. That's really important. Um, you know, also sometimes you have to remind yourself, unfortunately, as a manager that you're doing things well, uh, because everybody forgets to tell you, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bit lonely at the top, you know, um, 
but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you also need to, as a kindness, you need to know when to put work down and rest and focus on other parts of your yourself and other parts of your life and not neglect those. Okay. Work is just, it's just one part of you. It's not everything. Yeah. That's quite enough about kindness. Okay. How can we be clear? Let me be clear. Don't you love it when politicians say that? Let me be clear. And then they, you know, say the unclearest thing you've ever heard in your life. I love that. Um, yes. What we want to do here is, as a first step, we want to get very clear within ourselves on what it is that we want and what it is that we need uh, our teams to do. Okay. What do we want them to do? How do we want it to do? How do we want them to do it? Et cetera, et cetera. All those kinds of things. So clarity in our own understanding of things first before we can lead and manage anybody else. Um, after that, then you have to choose communication well. Okay. How are you going to communicate that effectively? And so you, you know, I think I already mentioned this. You always want to start by thinking who's the audience and what does the audience already know? What don't they know? And et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't know, you had to ask, you have to find out. Um, but in the, you know, equally in the communicate communication space, you want to be thinking always of your content and the construction of your content as well. Um, the content of your communication. Mm, okay. For example, do when you're explaining what you want to happen, how you want it to happen, do you have in that explanation a useful example of of what you would like them to do? Examples of previous successes and what made them successes or previous uh, failures and why uh, they were failures, things like that. Okay. Um, in the, in the content, are you clear in your expectations around things like timeframes and responsibilities and how we're going to, you know, to and fro on this thing, all of that. Yeah. Remember that nobody can read your mind and things that you might assume that everybody does, uh, might not be the case. And so, you know, checking in on all those things. So your, the content of what you're trying to communicate is important. The other thing that's important in your communication for clarity is construction. Okay. So is your communication constructed in a way that makes best use of, um, direct language? And I, that's not a, it's not a euphemism to be rude. I mean, um, using action verbs, um, using concise language. Um, again, understanding your audience and how to use the kind of language that is required for them to uh, understand and attach meaning to what it is that you are saying. Um, knowing how to edit yourself so you're not talking in circles and everybody's nodding off. Um, not doing some version of over explanation, whatever that is, condescending or not. All those things are very, very important to the construction of how you're communicating something clearly. Okay. So 
in that clarity, we always want to start within to make sure we're clear in ourselves, what we want to happen and what our expectations are and what it looks like, et cetera, et cetera. And then we come out of that space and we think about, okay, how am I going to get what's in my head through the noises that come out of my face and into the, this group of people and for us to, to then all be on the same page. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you, you mustn't neglect are things like feedback loops and check-ins and they have to be fit for purpose in their size and in their frequency. Yeah. It's, it's not plug and play. Not everything is going to, going to have the same thing. So you want to um, spend some time getting that right. And this will potentially take on a very evolutionary uh, sort of shape, particularly if you haven't been with the team for very long. Okay. So be patient with that, but, but, you know, do keep that at the forefront of your mind. Um, I think as well, one of the things I highlighted at the beginning was your, your ability, developing your ability to zoom in on detail and then zoom back out again. That's really important in a management space. You don't always want to be elbow deep in the weeds. You can't. Okay. Um, some of us hang on to that, those little tiny details for a little bit too long in our management position. And that can turn into things like micromanagement or it can turn into things like, um, you're just so far in the details that you can't come back out of it and you can't see the bigger picture. You can't see how different bits fit together. And the other thing is if you've been managing for a while, and you've sort of, you know, gone up a, a little bit in that, that marshmallow layer. Sometimes we can get too caught up in sort of strategy or big picture ideas and that kind of thing. And we lose uh, our ability to zoom in and on detail and forget what people are doing uh, and forget how, how work happens or, or, you know, who's doing what. And that's of no use either. So I suppose what I'm talking about here is that skill of, of being able to move in between the two. Okay which is one of the reasons that management positions are very difficult. And it's unfortunate that there isn't, there isn't better training sewn into a lot of these uh, positions in different organizations. So do be aware of that and try to develop uh, that ability. Work hard on that. Okay. Um, one of the ways, one of the, the key ways to, to help you in that zooming both in and out is um, having a team that reports well in, in your space. And so you don't actually have to get down into the weeds. A lot of the time they do that for you, but that means that similarly, you have been clear on uh, what you expect them to do and what you need from them and why you need it and how it's going up and et cetera, et cetera. So again, clarity around all of that to to get your team doing those things and bringing them forward to you in a space where they can equally communicate with you clearly and, and effectively okay you want healthy consistent communication sewn throughout this entire process okay i knew this was going to take an age but i didn't think it would take this long time for tea
Okay, how the final the final frontier, how do we get right the wrong of uh, being more conscientious? How do we do this? How are we going to make this happen? Well, um, as always, you want to uh, set examples and model behavior here. That's incredibly important. Okay. I, at this point in your professional life, I sincerely hope that you are using your, your calendar or diary, whatever it is, to its full capacity. And I say that because I am shocked, shocked and appalled that, that when I have conversations with people who, particularly ones who manage others and they don't, I just think, why would you do that to yourself? It's, it's such an unnecessary, unnecessary way to be stressed all the time. Um, organization is just so helpful and even if you say things to yourself like, well, I'm not a very organized person naturally. First of all, nobody's naturally anything. It's a skill. Um, secondly, just if you just even do little things, right? Just blocking out different periods where you're not available, sharing your calendar with others so they can see when you are available and when you're not available, putting in reminders, color coding things, just little tiny, it, it won't take you very long and you can Google literally anything. So, you know, you also don't need to, to wander around lost. I mean, chances are you're using a, a product or a platform that's been um, Googled and explained to death. So yes, start if you haven't already by organizing um, your your time as much as you can. Okay, it's a hugely important part of being uh, conscientious. Um, if you're still convinced that it's not worth your time or your effort, and you shouldn't prioritize it. All those things that I've been talking about, all those things I was talking about earlier in the episode about, you know, making sure that you have the weekly check-ins and you're keeping up on how everybody's doing and you're having these open lines of communication, da, da, da. All that relies on you being organized to have those things consistently in place, right? And you setting the example to teach your team that they have to do the same so that that becomes, that just becomes how everybody functions. It will immensely improve uh, the overall function of your team. Okay. So it's definitely worth prioritizing that and putting that effort in, in the first instance. Yeah. One of the other pain points, I suppose, that I identified with conscientiousness uh, earlier was the potential for it to turn into something unhealthy and unskillful. And we want to be able to identify being diligent and doing good work, but then not confusing that with uh, working too much and spending too much time and too much energy and too much effort, particularly in places that do not warrant it. Okay. So a few things, first of all, one thing that you must understand as a manager, and then also you must train your team in understanding is the difference between things that are um, urgent, things that are important, things that are both, things that are neither. Okay. And so if you haven't, if you haven't got into the habit of using the good old reliable Eisenhower matrix, start, right? If your team doesn't do that or doesn't think in that way, teach them how to do it 
and and make that a, a, a part of of your thinking of your team thinking okay it is incredibly important to understand the difference between all those different things work will never be fully done ever for anything it's it's impossible and so we need to learn prioritization right we need to learn how to do that well in our uh in our jobs okay so that's that's thing the first in the old um you know quandary of how do i be diligent but not work myself to death um thing the second is knowing what good work looks like okay so identifying both that for yourself right um and you can do that very simply if you like by taking examples from from you know managers that you've had in the past um also by taking feedback from whoever's managing you um also by taking feedback from those you manage and taking all that information together and and plucking out the overlap parts and identifying those as what good work looks like or good um i suppose uh pr production looks like um but the other thing is as a manager for a team or teams equally identifying helping to identify that to your team so that everybody understands what it is that good work looks like okay so an empty inbox is not um you know working hard an empty inbox doesn't exist instead what working hard good work diligence da, 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 what all that looks like is this this and this whatever it is okay um thing the third is the boundary we're back to the boundary thing okay knowing physically where to to cut that off where, where the parameters are around that and knowing mentally and learning and getting into the habit and getting into the behavior of putting stuff down putting it down being other things to other people in your life and then coming back to work with that bit rested and ready to go again which also coincidentally is a huge part of resilience okay so conscientiousness is incredibly important it's really really um effective uh when deployed well when when it's a sharpened skill and a a um well-practiced habit uh, but equally at the same time we don't want it turning into something that ultimately is going to harm us or our team okay okay i think that's quite enough that's a lot of a lot is your notebook full have you fallen asleep maybe this is why nobody ever writes an article on the basics because you can't you can't sort of summarize it snippily in you know a clickable title or I don't know, three easy steps, blah, blah. But I would argue this is worth it. So worth it. Get these things right and your work life will vastly improve. Okay, that's quite enough. I want to thank each and every one of you for sitting through this humongous episode on what we get wrong about the basics in our management mini-series. Thank you, most of all, for joining me as I avoid writing more of my dissertation. <laughs> Procrastination is the name of the game. 
Uh, if you have found this useful, and even if you haven't, please share on your socials. Uh, it helps me a lot, and it helps other people a lot. If you like, you can find and or follow me on the Twitter, or the artist formerly known as Twitter, at but I'm a profesh at B-U-T-I-M-A-P-R-O-F-E-S-H. Um, I have a Substack. You can find me on Substack by googling Substack Nancy Elizabeth. I wish you a very good week. I wish you very effective management. Uh, hopefully the basics will become so sewn into the way that you work as to become unnoticeable. And everybody will just say things like, what a good manager they are. Be kind out there. Be composed out there. Be conscientious out there. Be clear out there. You're doing great professionals. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye.